over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Well, so good to be rejoining with my wife Nancy, our animal welfare expert, great animal rescuer, and what has become the most popular, most interesting of the many hours that I do at WABC, the most called into, the most requested, our Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC. You can't get it anywhere else. If you've missed previous episodes, you go to the podcast list, wabcradio.com. And in addition, WABC now has available to all of you exclusively the half-hour animal welfare video that is posted once a week. You go to uh, WABC, the YouTube channel. You you type in uh, Red Apple Media, and you will see we have six episodes of the last one about animal cruelty. And I must say, uh, Nancy, you did an outstanding job in these video half-hour presentations. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Curtis, and uh, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. By, by the way, interesting, before we get into all the different uh, animal stories that have been transpiring, I see today outside a Manhattan courthouse, they're filming a scene for Joker 2, starring Joaquin Phoenix, and he's joined this time by Lady Gaga. They had, like, hundreds of people out there, extras. And if you remember, when he won the Academy Award for Joker 1, the animal welfare guy that he is, he left immediately, I believe it was, to rescue calves so that they would not be slaughtered uh, for veal. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, that was amazing of him. Right from the stage of the Academy Awards, he went off and rescued calves that would be butchered uh, because that's what veal is. It's uh, baby calves. So props to Joaquin Phoenix, hopefully... His Joker 2 will be as good as Joker 1 was. But let's get right down to it. In the parade that I was in today with the Guardian Angels, I can't tell you, Nancy, how many people on both sides of the police barricades were screaming in delight. First of all, they were screaming for you. They wanted to know where Nancy was, the cat lady. But the story of our rescue of cats that were trapped In the bowels of the public housing facility known as Queensbridge, the largest in the nation, right along the East River in the shadow of the 59th Street Bridge, Uh, could you give us a little background? Because it actually relates to this very program. That's when we were first alerted to the problem. Um, uh, Okay, yeah, so this this particular location, it's uh, been the home for a number of, uh, outdoor cats for several years now, and you know they're they're fixed, they are housed, uh, you know they're they're fed, they're cared for. So you know basically they're living on the premise for uh, quite a while. But 
um, what happens is uh, periodically you have management or, you know, an initiative or, or someone just decides, oh, we, we want to uh, change the area. And they started sealing up um, the certain holes that were um, like, you know, gaps in windows to the lower level. And then now this was happening uh, back in December. So initially when, the, you know, these cats were getting trapped in, and you know they're uh, they're reaching out for help like to everyone, and unfortunately, when, by going through NYCHA, it's it's such a um, like a regulated type of procedure, and you're not really going to get the uh, the assistance you need, and certainly not in a timely manner. Because what happened is, you know, these animals are basically now barricaded behind uh, these enclosures in basements, and you know they have no access to food, water. So now this is a second time this happened, and. You were there uh, in person on Friday, and you know finally at that point during the evening, then they had uh, finally uh, uh, come to the location. So you know you you sort of know because you were on the ground there. But um, you know it's still something that needs to be um, watched because it's not that they're on board yet. You know it's just that you know we took care of this one hiccup, but there's constantly hiccups. What was so so interesting is. Uh... You called me up the way a wife would call a husband on his way home from work. And instead of asking me, hey, could you pick up a few things at the store on your way in? You said, hey, could you travel to one of the most dangerous public housing projects in America, go through all the bloods that control that project and rescue cats that are hermetically sealed in who are dying inside of the project? And I said, yeah, no problem. I'm there. I'm there. Yep, that's true. And uh, because I went, I could see that the NYCHA folks, because they have supervisors at a lot of the buildings, were getting nervous. And all of a sudden, where they wouldn't do anything before because of my presence, they took the grinders out and they began to extricate the cats by taking the metal plates that they had hermetically sealed these cats in. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to describe the circumstance. These are old projects. They're dirt floors. They don't even have concrete floors. That's how old these projects are. And these cats were dying. They had no food. They had no water. They were meowing. They were trying to escape. The people of the projects were trying to give them relief. And the NYCHA officials were prepared to let them die. And I want to give credit to the rescue group. They first called us up on this very program, remember, and pointed out the problem. Yeah, no, no, yeah, and and um, so there's a story at Cat Rescue, and they're actually um, responsible for having uh, TNR'd all of these cats in the first place, and also the constant care of them. So when you you know when you think about the level of dedication that's gone into taking care of a of a managed colony, and you're basically undoing all of that work for no reason that makes any sense. And, you know, again, it's involving lives. So this is why there has to be a logical approach to uh, how outdoor cats are really being acknowledged because they're constantly under attack for no reason that makes any sense. Uh, People are caring for them already. I mean, they have things that, you know, recognize them somewhat, but yet they're not given any protection. And this is a perfect example of it. I mean, NYCHA should have a standard protocol. Cats are there. There's a rat problem, you know, at a lot of places. I mean, this is a perfect you know, marriage of two ideas. Why is this not already standard protocol to have cat colonies there? And it was great because the cat rescuers who really do a great work had hit a brick wall with 
<laughs> what eventually became plates that hermetically sealed these cats in, and they called up this very program, and they got action from us. And the first time, we will help, help them extricate some of the cats, and then the second time, the more ominous time. So it does show you the power of this Animal Welfare Hour. It isn't just to discuss the problems that exist globally, nationally, regionally, and locally that affect uh, animals and humans, but it is a, a call to action. So if you call us and you have a problem, we can't always respond to all problems, but there are some that, let's face it, it's the sweet spot. You have a, a bad public housing project. That's what Curtis Lee was all about. I go into these places all the time, and uh, I got to tell you, they are infested with rats and mice and rodents. But when you have feral cats, as these residents had the cat houses outside, they fed them. They watered them. They lived in harmony with these four-legged creatures, and they had no problems. And then the bureaucracy steps in, and then they disrupt that, and there's no cost to the taxpayers at this this is how you eliminate the rats, the mice, the rodents, which leads us to the mayor once again putting off the announcement officially of his rat czar up in the Bronx towards the ends of this past week. What things were you able to wean from his announcement, Nancy? Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Uh, well, let's see, that he did in fact hire a rat czar. Um, it's a female... And he hired them at the the, the highest uh, salary possible in the range that he created for himself, which is $170,000. So that's what we know. Well, I will tell you this. If you're going to be a rat czar, you have to be nocturnal like the rats, the mice, the rodents. They, they come out 10 o'clock at night till 6. They rule the night. Uh, what you hope to have is detente by keeping them... Uh, out of sight, out of mind during the day. Now, that's when it really scares a lot of people, when they start seeing the rats out during the day. You're never going to beat them. They've been around since the beginning of time. They'll be here after all of us leave. A lot of people do not understand, Nancy, a rat only lives a year. One year, and then they're gone. But in the meantime, a female rat can have as many as seven, eight litters within that year. And start doing your common core multiplication tables, and you can imagine how many rats you're going to be stuck with. A lot. <laughs> anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's been a lot of talk. We've certainly focused on it about dog breeders and dog breeds because there are some people who just refuse to go to shelters and adopt dogs who are in such a need of a home of their own because they're not a pure pedigree. But I see they have a list of dog breeds that people should not get under any circumstance. What are a few of those? Well, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so it definitely is not, um, you know, telling people not to get the dogs, but it's uh, like a cautionary tale. So this is like a, um, like a veterinarian who is using 
the expertise uh, that he gained through working with all these dogs to uh, give people a little bit of a heads up prior to adopting a dog based on the breed, what type of, you know, like um, health issues you might be, um, you know, having to be cognizant of or uh, behavioral issues. So, you know, you might be getting something different than you bargained for, which actually I think this is like a, this is a great idea because, you know, uh, you know, the, maybe the initial uh, way that people would adopt pets, you know, you know, it could happen a lot of different ways, but you know, oh, they're cute, but you might be uh, basing it on the external and that sort of initial uh, interaction you have without really being aware of this stuff. So, you know, they were, um, you know, talking about, uh, for instance, um, German Shepherds. So, you know, obviously those are very loyal, great dogs, but, uh, you know, that they that they require a lot of training. So, you know, they might be a great loyal dog, but then, you know, make sure that you're anticipating uh, training. So that that's sort of like the example of what they were doing. Hmm. And uh, they really, people out there, I, I understand they love particular breeds of dogs, particularly pedigrees, but reconsider. There are so many unwanted dogs in shelters that are going to be euthanized. They're going to be destroyed needlessly. They need a home of their own. Don't just think that all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm going to have the kind of dog that I saw at the International Dog Show, you know, at Madison Square Garden. No, no, no. Just just reconsider that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now, there was the story of Leona Helmsley, <laughs> probably one of the toughest business people ever to exist. And I can tell you that, not because I had personal dealings with her, but at one point, she and her husband, Harry, who was beginning to lose control of his mental faculties, co-owned the Empire State Building with Donald Trump. And guess who won that battle? Uh, they did. It wasn't Donald Trump. <laughs> Leona Helmsley forced Donald Trump out. And he went on to say she was probably the the most difficult business person he had ever dealt with. And he lost to her, <clears throat> which he didn't often lose. But she was also one who believed that only little people pay taxes, didn't pay her taxes, ended up doing jail time. And when it was time for her to go to the hereafter, she bequeathed millions and millions of her wealth to her little doggy. She bequeathed all her wealth to her little doggy. And this, although nowhere near the amount of money, but apparently a man left $50,000 from his estate. To his beloved cat. <laughs> yeah, this is true. So, uh, the name of the individual, not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but uh, Jean Louis uh, Goldwater something. Okay. And he had a $14 million estate. So, for some reason, they're singling out, um, you know, sort of the, the bequeath to the cat. Uh, you know, but, but basically, it was a, a house uh, cat that he had. And he, you know, like many people who have pets, wanted to make sure that it, when he passed away that, you know, his pet would be cared for. So he, uh, you know, named his friend as the caretaker and, uh, you know, like custody and then set aside the $50,000 for, you know, food and veterinarian care. So, I mean, yeah, definitely that's uh, an important thing to do to, to, you know, think about your pets, um, you know, in, in that context. So I can appreciate that. <laughs> now. This, you're going to have to explain. Okay. 
The family is raising what they believe to be a dog. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, two years later, they realize that what they thought was a dog was, in fact, a bear. Now, yeah, I, I, that is I like in, pretty crazy. incomprehensible that you're playing with a dog, you're raising a dog, you're walking the dog, you're doing all kinds of things that you would do with a dog. The dog is in your house. Two years later, you realize it's a freaking bear. Yeah, so, okay, so this is, um, it, it wound, so what they what they thought they were adopting, this, um, you know, uh, family in China, was a Tibetan Mastiff puppy. So I actually researched that to see, like, how similar this might look to a bear. Like, what's the odds of them maybe being legitimately confused? And maybe as the the puppy, you know, the, the little bear size, it would have looked, you know, similar because they actually do, uh, you know, achieve, like, get to be as big as 175 pounds. And when you look at that uh, Tibetan Mastiff, it's very, you know, I, I could see how maybe it looks like a little bear, but what this thing looked like at 250 pounds at two years did not look like a dog, <laughs> like at all. <laughs> they had to be half in the back. Now, speaking of China, and as you said, what did you describe the uh, the dog to be? Which breed? Oh, uh, Tibetan Mastiff. Well, we just had a plane load of rescued dogs from China that arrived in New York City for adoption. This this makes you just want to cry. Here are these dogs. They're being bred and raised for one reason, one reason alone. They're going to go to these wet shops, they call them. We know this now, having studied what the Red Chinese have told us caused coronavirus and the derivatives of COVID-19, they claim it was a wet shop in Wuhan in which they have live animals. They slaughter them there. You could either eat them there or you take them home with you. Uh, many of them dogs. So they do this all over China. And people will spend incredible amounts of money to pay for the dogs simply so they won't be slaughtered and brought to either market or it won't be brought to somebody's home or devoured right there in this wet shop restaurant. And they buy the dogs, and they bring them from China here. Now, there is one strain of thought, Nancy, that says, well, that's why they create so many dogs, because they know Americans have a soft spot for dogs and will pay whatever money to rescue the dogs. So they, they, will, they will actually raise even more dogs, hoping to get more money from Americans. Give us some context to that, if you can. Yeah, well, so I I don't really know if there's a way uh, specifically to to know whether that's true or not. I I would imagine that there's certainly um, you know an increase when you have a demand. I don't think that this demand would be to the level they're looking for, especially given that uh, you know what they might be getting from you know like on behalf of the dog. I, I can't imagine it would be worthwhile for them to, to do that. Now, again, I, I could potentially be incorrect, but, you know, again, I think the, the sheer number of uh, these animals is just, you know, and, and also the, the way in which they're getting them, too. It's, um, you know, it's not, a, you know, animals that are being bred for the purpose of adoption. You know, these are, 
you know, otherwise they'd be food. I mean, there's there certainly is no shortage of them constantly just uh, grabbing more or less like strays and and using them as food. So I don't think, you know, until they get a handle on the population, that's that's always going to be out of control. So I would definitely be on board with adopting them for that reason. Well, I'm, I'm sure that one of our talk show hosts, show host this is here, will probably invite on Gordon Chang, who this becomes the expert on everything Chinese, and will probably describe this as an act of war. And that's why we should go to war with Red China. Not. But anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Nancy, before we get back to the other issues of the animal welfare situation this weekend, remember, everybody has an opportunity to go back and listen to previous programs if you just discovered the Animal Welfare Hour exclusive to WABC Radio on Sundays. Uh, you can check it out. It's listed with our many podcasts. Uh, it's the Animal Welfare Hour, obviously, uh, that we do every Sunday, 11 or 12. And then the half-hour video, we do one a week. Uh, where my wife uh, and I join her, explain the animal welfare issues. We have episode six that's up, uh, exclusive to WABC. You go to uh, the WABC YouTube, you type in Red Apple Media, and you will see six different episodes. Share it with people, blast it out, let other people become aware of these situations. And this latest episode has to do with people who brutalize dogs like Michael Vick did to train them to go out and to fight one another. Uh, to They bet on these things. They deplete them because they don't want to deplete the, uh, the gene pool, so they kill them in the most horrible ways imaginable. And Nancy goes in a lot of in-depth uh, explanations with videos and uh, photos to make those points. So let's go to the phones. It's Penelope in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Penelope. Curtis, I would have voted for you if I still lived in New York. Nancy, you're great. I have a rescue dog, if they want to call it that, you know. Uh, she rescued me. But um, I'm just wondering about the uh, dolphins and the whales. Oh, but um, they're washing off of the almond um, jersey and the Jersey Shore all along, you know. Now, hold on. Hold on a second, Penelope. More important than that momentarily is who is your dog, and your dog wants to participate here. Uh, I know, and she does every night when I pray with my father-in-law. It's so funny because she knows when we're just about to end. She but uh, she's chasing an airplane right now because they changed the air pattern. Now, describe her. What is her name, and uh, how old is she? Uh, Chica is a chocolate lab, and um, she was from Newark when I got her at seven months. Um, She forms her face into more of a pity, and she jumps over my five-foot fence. So I put, like, rakes there so she won't jump over and chase the gas guy or the CCTNL guy. A black, anyway, a, a black lab. Oh boy. No chocolate. Oh no, chocolate. She's chocolatey smooth. Yeah, she's sweet. She's a honey hood girl, and um, I'm so happy. I, w- I didn't call about her, but she decided to bust in and say, "Hey, she's my guard dog. She's on guard, which is great." 
Well, let me see. And, and, and it was a rescue dog, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I think people have to know this, Penelope, that there are so many dogs in need of rescue. Oh, who just... they were. I walked in, it broke my heart. They're dribbly dogs, and this was the dog was the only one that wasn't barking. And so I was like, well, let's check her out. She's maybe not so stressed out. But then she comes home and she's on guard barking at everything that walks by little doggies. You know, so she was whatever. good. She got, she got your attention the right way. And she's like, I got you. But also, <laughs> also. Recently, my son passed away. And he's her, her she's his dog. So mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, I got this dog now. And I'm like. Well, she saved me, really. But you point out the situation. You walk into the shelter. All the dogs are barking except the dog you chose. You probably, one of the reasons you chose her is because she was cool, calm, and collected and not barking. The other. My husband didn't, I knew he didn't want a dog. So I thought, oh, well, you know, she wasn't barking. Like, he wouldn't disturb him because sometimes he works nights, sometimes he works days, and. But but so important because these dogs are barking because they're nervous. They know they're going to die. They can smell death. They know if they're not taken and brought somewhere, they they're gonna they're gonna be euthanized. They're gonna be destroyed. They 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 know that. It's like a in a sense for animals, it's like a concentration camp. They they know what's going to transpire. Yeah. And you did yeah. you did a great thing by rescuing her, and I'm only hoping that based on what you did, Penelope, others out there will listen and say, "Yeah, we've got to go try to, we've got to try to rescue take these dogs too." Yeah, just go take a look, because you never know; you may find a match. We spoon every night now. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. It and, is. Anyway, you wanted I, to ask about the whales. Now, is this? I, You know what? I live in New Jersey, and I hear about the Rockways, and I hear about Jersey Shore. And and they had a commercial on your station recently that said, oh, no, it's not the the wind storms. It's not the – it's all the sound vibrations. That's crazy. I'm like, how could this not be? And now they're giving a commercial. It makes me feel like, oh, well, no. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely doubling down on the PR campaign to to, to try to create, like, any possible like disconnect because they don't they don't want to and because um, clearly this is what's going on that people are saying well there's a clear cause uh, causal c- connection like oh something's happening so the, I mean the claim is well we don't know why it's happening but we do know that once this started it is happening well I so, I will yeah. tell everyone out there that episode seven which will be available to all of you on the WABC YouTube channel. It's exclusive to WABC. You type in Red Apple Media. Episode 7, which will be uploaded on Wednesday, is exactly about these unbelievable series of deaths of humpback whales and other whales and porpoises and dolphins all along the Jersey Shore, the South Shore of Long Island, and the Rockaways. And Nancy goes in-depth and explains how these windmills are being built six miles offshore and all the problems that take place for the whales, the porpoises, and the uh, dolphins, from the sonar that's used to the blasting caps that are used. And uh, you're a lawyer, Nancy. You're made to me. As I was sitting there, I said, wow, I find them guilty as charged. (laughs) 
I think we made a case. Yeah, and you've got to share this because a lot of people are asking the question specifically about this. What's happening to the dolphins, the porpoises, and the uh, whales? Let's go to Elena, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be uh, heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Elena. Hello, Curtis. First of all, I want to wish you a happy birthday. May you have many, many, many more. (laughs) Just don't count the years. Okay, but I do have a question for Nancy. Nancy, hello. You do wonderful work, and I listen to you religiously. Thank you. you. You're welcome. But I do have a question. uh, Both you and Curtis had mentioned something about the uh, rescued dogs that are coming in from China. And Mm -hmm. I... I think it's a marvelous idea. I know that many animals have been rescued in the war, or throughout the war in Ukraine, the war with Russia, and I'm kind of hesitant. Is could they be possibly a Trojan horse? What maybe some sort of a chip? Are they checked out before they're given to adoption? Well, I think most of them are actually super vetted because. The requirements for them to uh, not only get into the country but also get out of the country, it's, I mean, it, it, they're so stringent that sometimes they can't even, um, you know, like they're missing a piece of paper. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that would be a concern. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that would be a concern. And I'm pretty sure if you get any, any um, dog that you received, if you had them checked out once they were here, I mean, I, I would imagine you'd be pretty comfortable just knowing that they were fine. Boy, that was very conspiratorial. Although I could see with chips being implanted in animals now so that if they ever get lost, they wander off, you can uh, track them. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, they, it, like, you know, the same way you have, like, a find my phone. I mean, that's the technology that is weirdly missing because every um, animal that goes into the city shelter, they chip with something that needs to be registered and needs to be scanned, it's more or less useless as opposed to technology like this, which would actually enable you to find the animal. Let's go to Carol calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Yeah, hi, Nancy. I admire the work you do. I like you too, Curtis. But I've been very disturbed over your description about what happens when breeders impregnate French bulldogs. Cruel, abusive, painful. Can't anything be done to stop that? Well, just for the purposes of edification and explaining to those listening for the first time, Carol, this has become an extraordinarily uh, popular breed. People are going out of their way, paying massive amounts of money Right. To buy a French bulldog. First of all, a French bulldog seems like they have asthma. It's very difficult for them to breathe. Yeah, a lot of health issues. Right. And then I actually saw the video of the breeder. He takes the female French bulldog and artificially creates a stimulus in this French bulldog and implants in the bulldog what can only be described as a turkey baster. And the poor French female bulldog is screaming in pain. That's what I'm calling you about. It's abusive, and it should be outlawed. It should. 
And uh, by putting light on it and talking about it, Carol, it's exactly what we're hoping to do here, that we can sort of uh, begin the process of educating people as to what a horror it is to force these female dogs into a position where they're being tortured uh, to pro uh, to procreate so that they can be new French bulldogs. And, yeah, and this is something that, you know, in in a in a weird way could actually be helped out a lot by people who have a lot of social media, you know, like influencers because the reason why these dogs they're so expensive, oh they're trendy. Oh and then you know then people want them. Oh they cost money. They're like it's it's literally like a piece of property. It's a you know like you're holding it it's like a oh this is a, a sign that I have money, this dog and it really has very little to do with wanting the dog. It's a status symbol. So if you make it something that isn't cool to have and you associate it with this type of horrible behavior, then once people stop wanting it, they'll, you know, hopefully that's how quickly that type of horrible behavior stops. Oh, no doubt. But it's also, uh, we had discussions before uh, in this format, the animal welfare format of faux gras, which uh, they take the ducks and they basically shove an implement up their derriere, their rear, so that they create within the duck the opportunity to have foie which is a delicacy in French cuisine. But some restaurants like to talk about how they have foie available at a very high price. And then when you realize what is done to those ducks in order to get it, you say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Come on. It should be banned. It should be banned in the U.S. of A. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Gail, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gail. Yes, hello, good evening. So nice to be with both of you tonight, and a very happy birthday to you, Curtis. Thank you. Hello. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Gail. Uh, I thought I'd wash you for a moment. Okay, uh, I wish I had all night to hit on all the topics regarding the different animal issues, Uh, but for now, I'd like to address the latest horrible and senseless killing of Leona by ACC. I know you and Lisa are aware of the latest killing that took place at their Brooklyn facility. I know how much this touches both your hearts since I heard from your program last Sunday that unfortunately you both went through the same senseless tragedy concerning the kitten. Uh, what's breaking me and at the same time making my blood boil is the fact that nothing has changed. Their guidelines, their regulations, their compassion for life. I just wonder, how do we bring them down? How do we stop this? Is it even possible to stop this? Yes, yes, it is, Gail. First of all, there should be no kill shelters. Uh, it was yeah. promoted by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, when he ran for mayor in 2013. First person ever in any campaign anywhere in the world to advocate no kill shelters. I picked up on that when I ran. But I will tell you this. Uh, of all the places to put an animal shelter, in the most dangerous real estate in all of New York City. And you're hearing that from an expert because if there's one thing I know, Gail, as you know, it's danger. Right across from the Cypress Hills projects, down the block is the Linden projects, the Boulevard projects. There are shootouts there all the time. There are gang battles. 
the when you park your car, you feel like if you were to walk inside at any moment, you're going to either be carjacked or you're going to come outside and you're not going to find your car. The inhospitable nature when you walk into this warehouse, it's like you were going into a warehouse to buy a piece of plywood from a Home Depot place. No, no human sentimentality at all. It's like an assembly line. Gail, that shelter must be closed. A new one must open up with all the empty space we have now within the five boroughs of the city of New York. They're talking about, oh, we got all this empty space. We're going to convert it into housing for human beings. Fine. How about converting it into more shelter space to house the dogs and cats and other animals so that they can continue to live without being slaughtered? Yeah, and, and to answer the question about how, how you resolve the things with the shelter, it, it has to be a complete overhaul. That's it. So this the reason why all of this stuff is constantly failing is because going through the formal channels that they set up, everything's geared to work against you. So what I would suggest is anybody but volunteers who's part of the animal care and control, they're swapped out, and what you do is you put people in, who are, um, you know, uh, parts of existing nonprofits, existing animal shelters, sanctuaries who have track records. You're giving them the facilities, to Curtis's point, they're horrible locations. If they were even remotely interested in getting these animals adopted, they would have some level of visibility. So you can tell that's not even their goal in the first place. You swap entire management out because this has become nothing more than appointments. These are jobs given to people as favors. They're useless. They're not doing anything right. They're doing everything wrong. Take them out, all of them. It's right near Fountain Avenue, one of the most dangerous places that has ever existed in this city. Project after project that are in the 75th precinct. And I go again through the litany of projects. I've been through them all, Linden Boulevard, Pink Houses, we used to call Stink Houses, Cypress Hills there. They all have gangs. They have shootouts. Crimes, carjacking, shootings. Who is going to want to bring their car into that area to go in with their family to maybe look at those animals that are in need of their home of their own when you're you're wondering, gee, if I walk outside, is my car going to be there? Will it be vandalized? Will the tires be be flattened so then we'll be held up at gunpoint? And forget the cops from the 75th Precinct. I mean, it's it's equivalent to trying to visit a person in Rikers Island. The amount of security you have to go through, appointments, fences, separate rooms. Like, what is this? This isn't a hospitable place for adoption. Think of all the empty space we have now. We are told every day it's like 50% of the office space is empty. And we have to keep a shelter in the most dangerous area of the many dangerous areas in New York City. That is an outrage. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Back to the phones we go. Uh, to Bulos calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Bula. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Um, good evening. Um, this is Stacia's friend, but I wanted, I was hoping that maybe you or Nancy would know about a little snippet that I had heard on the news about a cockatiel that went missing 
and the person went and posted um, missing bird notices all over the place and thought the bird was gone. But she named the bird a particular name when it heard a song played. And someone saw it by an amusement park, by a Ferris wheel, I believe, and the bird was dancing to that song. Do you know anything about that? No, but that's a great story. I'm telling you, I couldn't believe when I heard it, and I can't think of the name of the song. I'm wondering if some a song from Neil Diamond. I don't know. But when the bird heard that music, it started to dance to it. So she named the bird the name of that song. And I don't know from really what it is. You know, Beulah, how they say that a human being can have a song in their head for days and days and days. How many times does Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, say, oh, I got this song of William Shatner in my head over and over and over. I'd want to kill myself. But that's uh, that's what he likes. But humans keep a song in their head for many, many days, many, many months that comes to them. And maybe likewise... The same thing with birds, uh, you know, who are in that family of parrots and other birds like the cockatiel that you mentioned. It was rescued because someone had noticed it and called it and said, that's the bird that everybody's been, somebody's been posting posters on of things dismissing cockatiel, I believe it is. Uh, cock- is, that, is that the right way to say it? I'm not sure. Cockatiel. Yeah, so. And when they saw the bird doing this, they realized that this is what they've been hearing, and the person did get their bird back. It was missing for quite a while, but it was it was amazing that it was hanging out in this amusement park when they would play the same song that this bird liked. So I just ho- I was hoping that you could tell me the location of where it was. Was it in you know some other state? Was it New York? Um, if you knew anything about it. Well, that's, that's it's, where Flacco got the inspiration to escape. Exactly. Uh, Flacco, by the way, again, uh, somebody had cut the net at the Central Park Zoo, and this uh, uh, Eurasian uh, owl uh, was set free. Uh, obviously, uh, there were bird watchers who assembled from all throughout the tri-state area to watch Flacco as it was up in a tree. And they were trying to lure Flacco down, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo, uh, with their sounds. You know, they had their safari hats on, they had their shorts on, they had their binoculars, and they were saying there's no way Flacco can survive. He has been hand-fed since he was a little chick. And that was the prevailing thought. And then all of a sudden, because they were tracking Flacco, who did not leave the area, they noticed that the predatorial instincts kicked in and he was feeding off of mice and rats that he would swoop down on at night that were all over Central Park. And he has been self-sufficient ever since, Nancy. Yeah, they, they caught a picture of Flacco at Zero Bond. What? <laughs> the other night. Flacco was at Zero Bond? Whatever happens in Zero Bond stays in Zero hey, Bond. I don't know what happened there. And our final caller is Roberto from Woodside. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Roberto. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Nancy. Happy birthday, Curtis. And thank you both for what you did for Queensbridge. I've volunteered with the story of cat rescue in the past, and I know I'm familiar with that area. Thank you so much. Um, I'm actually calling because I'm working with some 
advocates now on getting a cat shelter for the area of North Hempstead in Long Island, where um, there's only an animal shelter. It only takes in dogs. And the explanation is that because they're not legally required to do anything for cats, they won't. Wow. All ha- wow. All, all we have is one day where you're, you know, one TNR day. And if you look on a map, you look at what makes up North Hempstead. It's, it's a massive region. As you guys know, as you guys know, kitten season is coming. Oh my God, yeah. And yeah, um, we're hoping to get some. I mean, we have we have a new um, tactic that we're trying to. For for years now, the advocates have been going to the town hall meeting. They've been speaking out. We have a rally outside the meeting with signs and posters. It's the only town in Long Island, which is really a massive territory. It's not really a town. And uh, what we're doing is we're doing a phone-a-thon this Tuesday, and I, I hope that uh, anyone who cares about animals, you don't have to live in North Hempstead, you can just call in and participate and just, um, you know, it's on Facebook, Town of North Hempstead, what about the cats? And we're just asking people to just call and politely tell the town council the uh, the need for uh, something for cats. I mean, even an adequate TNR program, a voucher program, something, because this has been going on for years and, um, you know, people are stretched thin. Well, this is something, Roberto, we can do. Stay on the line, Roberto. Uh, Ken, make yourself worthwhile there. Instead of just scratching your belly button, uh, could you write down on a piece of paper? I want to make this very simple for Ken because he don't want to stress him out before he's on with the other side of midnight uh, with Frank Morano. Uh, just write down on a piece of paper all of Roberto's pertinent information, and I'll make sure Nancy gets it. And we will tag team up with them, uh, Nancy, and get that done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's uh, I mean, perfect example of you know completely dropping the ball. If you're going to be doing it, you need to be recognizing the numbers. I mean, the people are out there trying to to get it done. I mean, the least you can do is just supply them with the ability to house them, get them fixed. Like that's the least you can do. Now, Nancy, if anybody would like to continue their conversation with you or get some information that they desperately need about animals or an animal of theirs, how can they reach you? Uh, well, uh, guardianangels.org, uh, there's a tab, Animal Protection. Uh, you can also email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. Excellent. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you've missed any previous episodes, uh, exclusive of the WABC in podcast form, a full hour, go to wabcradio.com and you'll see them listed by week or Go to the videos. That's the latest uh, edition that we have here. And that's a half-hour program about the uh, the key animal issues that are affecting the quality of life for je- not just animals but for people and for Mother Earth. Uh, and you can go to the WABC YouTube site, type in Red Apple Media, and by Wednesday you will see episode number seven which is exactly what we had talked about earlier, Nancy, the implosions that are taking place on the ground uh, of the uh, sea where they are putting in these huge stanchions and then obviously the towers that house the windmills that produce the electricity. But because of the use of sonar and implosions uh, in order to achieve that, it seems to be throwing off the natural instinctual radar that dolphins, porpoises, and whales have that may well be leading to their demise. Absolutely. 
All right, appreciate it, Nancy. Uh, this has been a great birthday. A lot of great callers uh, on this segment of Animal Welfare, and just keep it up out there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I started out the program. If you want to give me a birthday gift, this is the gift you do. Give yourself a gift. Go to a shelter, rescue a dog, a cat, or another animal, and instead of looking for a pedigree, instead of looking for a specific breed, they need homes of their own. So... If you wanted to give me a present, best present in the world you could ever give me is to rescue an animal in need.